Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. How do you date during a pandemic? I'm sitting in a Walmart parking lot recording the first edition of Love in the Time of COVID-19. And how do you reschedule a 300-person wedding? Calculations start running through my head. Who are the first people that have weddings? Plus, why are over half a million people howling every night? So we have people in every state and over 100 countries go outside to howl at sunset. Do you start? Like, how does this... Do I start? I think we can do it together. Finally, an eight-year-old has some ideas about toilet paper rations. You could drive some of yours to their house, and then they could, like, spray it with, like, super cool Lysol. I'm Kyone Wolf. Stay tuned for our special series from Connecticut Public Radio, Us in the Time of Coronavirus. That's after the news. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Us in the Time of Coronavirus. I'm Kyone Wolf. If you're looking for romance, now is a really weird time to do it. On the one hand, why bother, right? It's not like it's safe yet to have a first kiss or whatever. But on the other hand, what better time than now? You may remember Sarah Ellis from episode one of this show. She closed down her cleaning business of 20 years because of the pandemic. And as we were in touch about having her on the show, she mentioned that she was going on a date. Her first date since COVID-19 came. I asked her to record herself on her phone right before and right after their date in early April. And here's what she sent back. This is Sarah Ellis. I'm sitting in a Walmart parking lot recording the first edition of Love in the Time of COVID-19. I'm being responsible in my social distancing with dating by meeting somebody in a parking lot to people watch at Walmart who are by no means social distancing. This parking lot is absolutely packed. Uh, There are a couple truckers here. I'm waiting to get outside because it's cold, um, 45 degrees. It's supposed to get warmer. Um, Looking around, I'm seeing people buying plants. It doesn't seem to be an essential, but who am I to speak? Because I do farm in my part-time. Anyway, Kion, you're going to have to do a lot of editing. I don't know if I'm nervous about the date or if I'm nervous about recording. And I've also done like 16 takes, so you fix it and make it beautiful. Anyway, um, he's a little bit late, which was good because I was also late this morning. I don't know what else you want me to talk about until people get here. You know what? I'll get out. We can listen to the birds together. Okay, so he's here, but I don't know where. Let me see if I can find this guy. All right, so he found me and he's coming. He looks like a large man. As the parking lot gets more and more full, I realize that people really are not scared of this plague like I am. Okay, he's getting closer. He's getting closer. How are you? Doing all right. 
so I just got back in my car. Do you want to hear the door slam? I think that actually went really well. He was cute. He's fit. He's smart. And we have a lot in common. So we shall see. Um, he's clearly brave because he is going into Walmart. And that's a little scary to me. But I did hug him. Um, which was a little scary. It's so weird to not do like the normal first date things. Not that I really know what that is anymore because I don't do it very often. Um, but like if I didn't have to shave my legs, if I didn't want to, I didn't have to like, he's not going to get close. What the hell does it matter? Maybe this will slow some people down from moving too fast. I'm not really the type that moves super fast um, anyway, but it might, you know, it might slow people down and let them get to know each other. So maybe there will be some real beautiful relationships that come out of this. Shit. I mean, this virus. Um, all right, Kayon and NPR World. That was my first Match.com date during the COVID-19 crisis. month since that date. So what happened with Walmart parking lot, dude? We caught up earlier this week. All right. So I talked to him for a couple days after that. And then I didn't talk to him again, um, which was fine. Just not my type of person, I think. So then I met another person who was really nice, but he works in an emergency department. So he's, you know, in direct contact with COVID patients. So we decided to put off like actually meeting but I borrowed his giant chainsaw and he borrowed my log splitter. <laughs> so I've been to his house and we've done this swapping and like we talk regularly and he seems really nice, but like we have this relationship that could be very sustainable in the long run, but we're not re like really going to meet until things calm down a little bit. Um, and then I met another person a couple weeks ago. We went to a park and just like sat at a table and had a couple beers and talked and he was pretty cool. I'm actually supposed to meet him this weekend again, but the weather is looking pretty crappy. So I don't know that that's going to happen, but I'm a little scared, like moving forward expectation builds. I mean, I, I know that we're still in a deep threat, but as like the, the weather gets better and people can get out, like our expectation is going to change and like, do I have to start shaving my freaking legs? Because I really don't want to. No, you don't have to start shaving your freaking <laughs> legs. Do you know how long it's been since I shaved my legs? I don't. It's been that long. <laughs> well, what I'm curious about is like, as you are having second, third, fourth dates inevitably, like, how do you know when it's safe to make out, you know, like, how do you, is, I mean, I know it's a conversation, but like, how do you really know it's safe? This is a lot of trust. That's what really scares me. Uh, not just the virus, but like, I am so freaked out by new people and in when it comes to dating. So I did say to him the other day, I was like, I just need you to know that I move super freaking slow. And especially with this, because he suggested, you know, let's take your truck for a drive. I'm like, I don't want to be in the same car with you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't. So even if there wasn't a pandemic, you would have been like, whoa, slow down there. That's my truck. Yeah, probably. <laughs> very, very likely. So you saying that you're moving really, really super slow is the right thing to do. I mean, any relationship, pandemic or not, you got to be 
really vocal about what you want and your boundaries and all that good stuff and what you do like. And so in a way, like this pandemic is right up your alley. You would have been Oh, I love anyway. it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love social distancing. I love personal space. I don't like people all up in my ever. <laughs> so this is great for me. But am I using it as an excuse? Maybe in a different timeline where there wasn't a pandemic and you were like, yo, yo, don't be in my truck cab. I'm not into that. They might have pushed back a little bit or they might have been like, this chick is bonkers. But no, they're like, oh, well, no, it makes sense. It's a pandemic. But truly, that's what you would have done anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's an interesting like window into your world as to how this pandemic is drawing out, like validating things that you feel and just the way you're wired and also how it's you're sort of looking at it as possibly maybe a crutch yeah oh yeah it's definitely a crutch i'm gonna use it for all i can too (laughs) lean on it baby That was Sarah Ellis, who, by the way, has spent a lot of her new free time thinking about her future. She's had a few cleaning jobs pop up recently, but she says she's worried that her business may not survive this pandemic, let alone any future outbreaks. So she's planning to go back to school to become a therapist for women and veterans who've experienced trauma. Alex Sarlingo is 30 years old, living in Hartford, and unlike Sarah Ellis, he's really, really not feeling good about dating apps and meeting in person. I asked him why he's turned off. People are still talking and obviously messaging, and there's so many platforms on which to do that. But it is also sort of infuriating to see that some people still want people to come over and hook up and break quarantine. I am seeing that. And I I don't know what to do in terms of, I don't want to rage on somebody that I don't know, but when I get like hit up to meet somewhere, I'm like, Nope, still still not doing that for the, the good of the nation. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say that from what you're seeing, that now is kind of an amazing time or now it's kind of an awful time or something in between? To be Dickensian about it, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. I think we're, we're reevaluating a lot of relationships and how we go about that right now. And people have been reaching out to people that they haven't made contact with in years just because they miss them. They're like, oh crap, I actually miss these people. But at the same time, there are those people, and I'm not saying it's a lot, it is a niche percentage of people that are still trying to get people over. And I know that some people are like, I know I don't have it. I know it's like blah, blah, blah. But yes, but like you're not thinking, like you have to go back to the, it's not just like, okay, say you go to hook up with someone and you take that risk. You're not just hooking up with them. You're hooking up with every person they've been in contact with, either peripherally or directly, for the past like two weeks, because that's sort of the lag period. And so you don't know, because like the web of social interaction is so far reaching that I just don't understand why you would risk that with actual physical interaction like that. How are you seeing people get creative with their dating online in general? If people weren't sending inappropriate pics before, the bandwidth (laughs) of North America must be choked at this point with (laughs) pictures and videos and yes, Skype sex happens with me. Which is safe sex. 
It is, is the like, safest. It doesn't get any safer than that. It is the safest of sex. <laughs> that was Hartford's Alex Sarlingo. Down in New Haven, you may have heard about Elm City Speed Dating. They've done five in-person events in the past 14 months, but when the pandemic hit, they decided to adapt. I asked one of its co-founders, Dave Weinrib, to explain this virtual version of their speed dating event, how it'll work, and how he was feeling about getting people to connect during a pandemic. We're nervous about trying it, but we're willing to try it if participants are willing to try it. So, you know, two questions are like, is this worth it to people, right? Like, is there significant value add on top of swiping-based apps? in terms of helping people to connect to people. And then, of course, the second question is, is this deeply tone deaf to this time period? And again, we're sort of letting registrants figure out whether that's the case, right? So like... If it's not for you, you're not going to do it. (laughs) That's right, right. (laughs) And if it is for you, you're going to do it. (laughs) This is self-selective. You know, we, we normally have 30, 40 folks who like show up at our events. They're always free. We're not, you know, sponsored by anything or anybody. And so, you know, this is a project. And if the demand is there, then we're willing to do the planning around it. And it'll be one more thing you have in common with somebody that you would both do a speed dating event online during a pandemic. Yeah, no, it certainly would be the most unique story of how someone were to meet. And obviously with the platform, there are things to take advantage of in terms of making prompts that are like unique to like, let's mute each other and like, let's use reactions (laughs) only to communicate. I mean, we try and adjust the prompts, the questions, the games to every venue that we're hosting at. And so this is a new venue and this is a, there's a different sort of menu of options that people can play with. So how's it going to go operationally? Let's say I log, I will not log on because I am engaged. That would be weird unless it was a polyamorous engaged. It is not. But if anyway, so I'm, I won't be doing it, but if I were theoretically doing it, so how would it work? Yeah. Polyamorous folks are totally welcome We'll we'll be sending out the prompts beforehand, right? So if it's like play 20 questions using only reactions or mute yourself and like play charades, whatever it may be, we're sending out the prompts beforehand. Um, we'll then gather everyone together, share all the rules, sort of go over the structures of the night. We'll then be randomly assigning folks to rooms and then afterwards have sort of like a regathering where we sort of facilitate private chat boxing for folks to figure out what could happen next. So tell me about how you're going to categorize people. I mean, we've got folks on the LGBTQIA plus spectrum. We have people who are non-binary. We have totally straight people. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure they exist. How will you put people together in this virtual speed dating event? We've experienced that speed dating can be super heteronormative and often is like one side and one side. One thing that'll be interesting about tonight is that in people's uh, tag, like in their name, they're going to put their gender identity and the gender they're interested in, but we're actually not going to care about that when we're assigning people to rooms. So some conversations might lean romantic and some might lean friendly, and we're going to ask people to lean into whatever comes. And we know that like these spaces are still going to be heteronormative and that we're going to have to do more work if we want to make sure that we're being not just like radically inclusive, but like distinctly purposeful to serve communities' needs. That was Dave Weinreb. If you want to be a part of this first ever virtual Elm City speed dating experience, visit at homeinnewhaven.com. 
If you want to check out a new dating app that seems tailored to the slower pace of dating during a pandemic, check out the webpage for this show. You'll find a bonus interview with the founder of S'more, a dating app that keeps users' photos blurred until you make a connection. That's at ctpublic.org slash us. So what about those folks who found love, got engaged, and didn't factor in a pandemic when settling on their wedding dates? Find out what three couples and one wedding planner did to make it work. I'm Kyone Wolf. That's us in the time of coronavirus. After the break. This is Us in the Time of Coronavirus from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Kyone Wolf. Weddings. They're momentous events, hopefully once in a lifetime and usually very expensive. But when weddings come during a worldwide pandemic, plans are going to change. With all these logistics, investments, and dreams to fulfill or amend, how hard is it to reschedule a wedding? Chelsea Pierce is a nurse at Danbury Hospital. She and her firefighter fiancé Brian Shabin had their wedding planned for May 15th. It was their third anniversary. They had everything booked and over 300 guests confirmed, and then came the pandemic. I asked them to take me back to May 15th, 2017, and tell me about how they met. We met at a um, promotional ceremony for Waterbury Police Department. His brother was getting promoted to detective, and um, my uncle was getting promoted to detective, and a mutual friend, his brother's wife, actually, who I went to high school with, was like, Chelsea, this is um, Brian Shabin. She was like, he's a firefighter for UConn. And I was like, wow, do you really want to see a really cool picture of a gross eyeball that I took at work the other day? And he was like, sure, even though he hates eyeballs. And then he asked me out on a date. It was love that gross eyeball. So, we're both weirdos. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so flash forward, it's almost three years later. You're planning to get married on May 15th, which would have been your three-year anniversary. You have over 300 people invited to your wedding, and you've got everything lined up. So, tell me, when did you know that everything had to change? I knew one night after I was at work. I had a really bad shift, and... Now, will you talk about what you do for a living? I'm an ER nurse in Danbury. So we had the first case in the state. He came in and the doctors kept saying it was pneumonia um, and he just wasn't getting better. And he came in and our ER doctor was like, this is not pneumonia. People were saying to me, hold out, hold out. You don't know how bad this is going to be. I came home after a 3 to 11 shift and I looked at him and I was like, we need to change our wedding date. This just but the bride me really wants to keep May 15th because it's so sentimental to me. And it just worked out perfect being on a Friday. I was like, but the nurse me cannot have people come to our wedding and get sick or be scared. And we can't put our families through this. And he looked at me and he was like, all right, peanut. Cause that's what we call. He calls me. He's like, all right, well, we're going to plan a new wedding. It was less about being sad for the wedding getting moved and more of Chelsea saying this is bad and we can't have this happen. And I'd be more sad if, it, if something bad happened. It was like a clear pendulum change that night of she came home and it was, she, it was bad. Okay, so tell me about the future. Do you have a new date picked out? Tell me what that date is. How'd you get there? The wedding coordinator, she gave us a list of dates and she goes, I have no other Saturdays until be. December or until next 
January and February, and then next summer she has no Saturday. She goes, but I have this July 18th date. She's like, I have like almost nothing available for the next two years. Because I had said, let's just move it to the next May 15th. Maybe it's next year. It's on a Saturday. And she's, she was like, I have nothing except for the dead of winter for two years. She's just like, miraculously, we have this July 18th date off if you want it. And I, I said, let's just make a list of all the people between the band, the church, the flowers, and see if they could do it July 18th. If they can all move, it makes our choice easy. And I'm not a huge believer of outside forces or not, but everything lined up. It was almost, it's too good to be true. And it all lined up and it moved to July 18th. So why wouldn't you just like get married legally on paper, privately, who cares? And then the party, you're shaking your head. Tell me why. I just feel like that's not a proper wedding. The proper wedding is the people see you say, I do. That's the best part. The best part about a wedding is when the bride walks down the aisle for the first time and the groom has not seen her. Oh, my goodness. The, the emotion. And just when she walks down the aisle, he just knows that this is my person. And I want people to witness that. Like, Brian's my person. Like, I can't wait to walk down the aisle to Brian. And after we do that, I want to have a party. I don't want to have the get married and wait and then have the party. It's just not the same. Not the same magic. Mm-hmm. You know, some people, they grow up thinking, I'm going to have a wedding. Like, and I, I can see it and I know what I want it to feel like. And I know what I want it to look like. Was that the case for you? What, how did you grow up thinking about your wedding? It was planned when she was nine years old. I just happened to walk in finally. You want to know what's really funny? That's not true. I <laughs> actually didn't even think I was going to get married because I thought I would never find someone as great as him. And I thought that would, no one would ever love me as much as he did. It just isn't hard. Like, people say love is hard, but it's not hard with him. It's perfect. And even on his worst day, he's better than most people I know on their best. That was Chelsea Pierce, a nurse at Danbury Hospital, and her firefighter fiancé, Brian Chapin. They live in Middlebury. After being engaged for three years, Katie Tierney and Trisha Chagru of Cheshire, Connecticut, were planning on getting married on the 4th of July this year. 200 friends and family and their two sons were ready to cheer them on, and I asked them when and how they knew that they were going to have to change their wedding date. Looking at the reports that were coming out, my brother lives in Seattle and works in an emergency room there. I knew I could see what was coming based on what his experience was. And I knew that by July, we would not be able to have a gathering of 200 people. We were already talking about, you know, at that point, we were still just on the 50s and maybe 10 people gathering. Now we're on a zero gathering. And I just felt like there's no way I can responsibly ask 200 people, some of whom are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, come to a wedding where all these people are and, and have any semblance of a celebration. And, you know, my parents would be coming from other States and I felt like it was just, it's not responsible and it's not something we can do. So, you know, for our caterer, they have actually pivoted almost all of their work to making food for families. So if people want to buy food, they can do that instead of, you know, doing these big celebrations that are extravagant they've taken their whole business and pivoted it to something that's really critically important at this time. So we were really impressed with our, our vendors and, and happy to, to move things around with them. Now, how has this change 
affected the way that you see the purpose of your wedding? Like, why is this so important? For us, I think the wedding is entirely about celebrating, and it's in part a political statement. They're already starting to try and take away rights for trans people and for, you know, insurance issues. And already in a year where the Supreme Court was going to make some pretty big decisions about gay and lesbian and trans people. And I feel like getting married and saying it in a big party with rainbow flags and trans flags and, you know, making sure that that was part of that, that was not a small part of why we were doing what we were doing. You know, I grew up in a time where gay and lesbian people getting married was unthinkable. And then it became a thing. And I thought we were never going back from this. And then it felt like in the last year or two that we started to slide again. Getting married is not just a signature on a paper. It's a bringing together of people and giving them words and ways to talk about how it is. So we're definitely sad about it. But I feel like if the worst thing that's going to happen to me this year, that my wedding gets moved, I have a job, she has a job, our kids are happy, they're, you know, everybody's doing fine. And if I can have that, then... I am humbly grateful. What about getting it done on paper legally and having the party later? Um, Things like that have been talked about, but I think we really want to do it in front of our friends and family. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting thing, right? There's, there's the legal part of it and then there's the party part of it or the cultural part of it. And um, I think all of that's important. And I, there, there are moments where we're a little afraid for what the future holds for being able to get married, but I think we're, we're in a good spot. What is your first dance song going to be? <laughs> that We keep going back and forth. At first, the boys were going to play the piano of Can't Help Falling in Love. And now her, um, we both like the greatest, the greatest Showman. So we are going to do A Million, million Dreams. Mo- yes. Okay, so you don't have a new date yet, but you will soon. So once you have that new date, then what? What's next? Having a date is going to make us feel a little better. We're both doers. We like to make our lists. And we, because I didn't seal any of the envelopes, I'm literally on the invitations. I'm just going to cross out the date and write in a new one. Like with a thick Sharpie, right? Like, absolutely. I'm putting, don't try to pretty it up. All over that. <laughs> if I can find something that glitters, that's what I'm going to do. Or like a red pen. Yes. I was actually think, trying to think if I could get stickers printed, if I could design a sticker that was like, Try again, maybe next year. <laughs> or like the mask emoji. We were thinking about for the resave the date, we were thinking about maybe putting all four of us in masks and standing six feet apart and having someone take a picture and being like, getting married six feet apart is no fun. I don't know. We also had thought about, you know, weddings are crazy expensive and people that are coming to the wedding spend crazy amounts of money. And so I thought, you know, instead of having a shower or having gifts at the wedding, like what if, this year, instead, we asked people to take whatever they were going to give us at that time and put it to a local food bank or whatever it is that would help the community. Because I feel like the other thing that's happening by us postponing the wedding is that thousands of dollars that would have gone into the local economy is now not going into the economy because of that. And so there are people who need that. There are your photographer. There's nothing they can do right now. So that money that has been promised for two years is now another year off. And so I feel like, you know, maybe there's some ways to funnel things a little bit differently. And I bet people like it too. They don't have to figure out what kind of slow cooker you want. That's exactly (laughs) You don't need another slow cooker. And if you get me the wrong sheet thread count, then I'm taking it back. Nothing less than 1,400. (laughs) I don't even know what that means. (laughs) 
The day after we talked, Katie told me their new date would be August 6th, 2021. If this or any pandemic still makes gathering prohibitive over a year from now, I'm sending them a big red Sharpie for their wedding gift. Generous, I know. Erica Baez and Mike Ciparelli of Manchester, Connecticut, were supposed to be joined by 150 friends at their wedding on May 2nd. That was their seventh anniversary. May 2nd, as you can tell, is long gone, but I asked them to take me back to when the wedding was on. What services and plans were already locked in? The photographer, videographer, photo booth, DJ, ugh, the music. I, I spent two years making a musically emotional journey <laughs> for our guests. It, it really was. There were like, we had playlists on Spotify that were like transition songs, yeah. from dance floor to cake cutting. We had it timed out. Like it was borderline unhealthy. Yeah. It was, it would have, it was going to be awesome. <laughs> it was going to be awesome. <laughs> Tell me about the ceremony that you had in lieu of your wedding. We actually, we live next to a park. So like our backyard is trees and then beyond the trees is like a little uh, like walking path and pond. And so we just like went to the park. It was his mom, my mom, my maid of honor, and then the reverend and the dog. What's your dog's name? Duchess. <laughs> Duchess. So you yes. had a duchess at your wedding. We, we did. did. <laughs> yeah. And um, it was nice because she wasn't supposed to come to our wedding, but now she was able to share it with us because <laughs> of the circumstances. So, yeah, we went and we, like, stood on the dock on the pond, and we had, like, a five-minute ceremony, and we yeah. got married. We got the marriage license on Friday. The town hall actually shut down on the next Monday. So it's like, thank God we did it when we did it because yeah. they actually closed that department yeah. the next Monday as part of, like, the town-wide lockdown. This is a really stressful time and scary time and some relationships as difficult as it is to imagine some marriages are cracking right now and some people are like oh wow we we can withstand a pandemic so far this is we're a good team are you finding the stress of this sending you any messages in terms of how your relationship is I would be okay with never leaving this house and only seeing him and Duchess ever again. <laughs> <laughs> Mike? Yeah, uh, I'm there too. But what I'm learning about though, when I get stressed out about something, I need to talk about it. I need to hear myself say it and explain it uh. to myself in a certain context to make me okay with it. Or on the other hand, is the complete opposite. Like, nope, don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear yeah, it. The more it details make me more yeah, stressed. Just like give me the 10 word summary and that's it. So like we're finding a balance. Yeah, you know what? That, that's, that's, been true. The, that's been the only hard part in all of this is that just learning that. But I mean, we have plenty of time to work on it. So I think about how anyone can be attracted to another person and you could like totally vibe with somebody and that can last a long time. But when you are with somebody through really scary things, that really does test whether or not you're compatible. And I think compatibility is something that in one way, you just luck out, you know, like you can only bend yourself to someone so much. So you luck out with compatibility, but you also create it because you prioritize. Like, it's not necessary for you to be right. It's necessary for you to move forward and for you to adapt. And it sounds like that's exactly what you've been doing to get to this point and exactly what you'll keep doing through this. Yeah, yeah we're lucky. I mean, I feel like this is the only thing that's certain, you know? Yeah. Do you have a song? I know you have a playlist, but do you have a song? So our official song is Mirrors, Justin Timberlake. It was our first concert that we ever went to. 
But Mira's was going to be your first dance. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I noticed that you referred to him as your husband. Yes, my husband. Now tell me about, before I let you go, tell me about what it's like using that word. I mean, some people, some people are like, uh, labels don't matter, but it's a really powerful word. It's different. How, how does it feel? It sounds way cooler than fiance. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. My fiance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we like it. We like to make jokes about it. Like that's my wife. <laughs> I feel like I've been waiting for it for so long and it's just, it wasn't the way we expected it. Right. Like I expected to be on our honeymoon, like, ah, oh, pass my husband the shot of night. <laughs> But now I'm like, husband, pick up the dog poop. (laughs) But it's definitely great. I feel like it's the one, like, silver lining to come out of this pandemic. It's like, well, at least we have this positive memory to get us through the next however many months. Yeah, and for the rest of your life, uh, you'll look back at the time you got married in a pandemic. That was Erica Baez and Mike Chipperelli, husband and wife from Manchester. This is all really personal to me, too. As I mentioned in previous episodes, my fiance Emily and I were supposed to get married in early October of this year. And the plan was we would get married on our fifth anniversary, October 1st, with a justice of the peace in our backyard, with our chickens and our cats and maybe a dog. And then the following Sunday, we were going to have a huge cookout on our property with a couple hundred friends. But shortly into the pandemic's arrival in Connecticut, we both agreed that as far off as October feels, it's not going to be safe to have that many people together. We'll still have our private ceremony and get married legally, but the party, that's off indefinitely. After hearing all of these stories and thinking about all these canceled parties, it got me thinking about the people who are hired to make these big events happen. How are wedding planners faring in this pandemic? Chelsea Suttis has been in the wedding planning industry for 10 years and is the owner of Pearl Weddings and Events based in Hartford. I wanted to know what it was that made her fully comprehend the drastic impact that COVID-19 was going to have on our work. I think the biggest uh, hit to my industry was when CDC set the guidelines of gatherings. The gatherings kept shrinking. I think the big one was when CDC was like no gatherings with more than 150 people or something along those lines. When you got that, just that initial news, what was your reaction? Because I'm a planner. So the first thing I started going through is, okay, timelines. Where are we? How far away are we out from my clients and who are the first people that have weddings? And it's just start, you know, like calculations start running through my head. When this started rolling out, um, this was bigger than just, you know, someone's wedding being shift, which obviously is massive in itself. But I knew that the emotions that were coming with it were going to be not just your wedding emotions. It was the entire world was being impacted. And that's a much different experience than your wedding date just shifting because of some other uh, situation. So so you had to start reprioritizing things, shifting around, trying to get different coordinates as to when, what would happen, where and why. But then again, you keep getting these messages from the CDC saying fewer and fewer and fewer people, I don't know, week after week. Yeah, it happened quick. It happened. I think by the end of March, we were at no gatherings with more than five people. How did you figure out what to do about that? 
every couple is unique. Also, every couple is in a completely unique situation from one another. How they're being impacted, what their jobs are. You know, I have, I do work with a lot of people in the healthcare industry. So a lot of nurses who are on the front lines dealing with this and, you know, they're overwhelmed with what's going on. You know, my first instinct, I got an email together, just making single outreaches to every client to kind of figure out what they're experiencing what's going to be the best solution and then coming up to them being like, here are some options, right? What they want, what they need, what makes sense for them, what makes sense for their guests too, and their families. Right. So yeah. Now, do you think your experience thriving in chaotic situations has made getting through this pandemic for you easier? Ah, that's a really interesting question. I don't know exactly if I'm handling it better or worse. You know, I have up days where I feel phenomenal and I'm thriving and I'm running my business. And then I have days that I feel like paralyzed. Normally in situations of chaos, I can fix everything. Um, in this situation, I don't have a solution for everything. And I want to fix it all for everybody. I do look for the silver linings of like, this will be okay. And I can hang on to that some days with this pandemic. And some days... I can't find it. And I feel like maybe that's where a lot of people are. So, yeah. How will you know when it's safe to have any wedding of any size in any place again? What will be those signals and how long do you think it'll be? As far as what I'm going to do personally is follow CDC guidelines first. And then thereafter, it's kind of making the calls we get there. It's Right now, it's a one day at a time, which is the hardest thing for I think anybody, never mind a business or a wedding, you know, one day you're like, I want to know. I'm a, I'm a planner. <laughs> like, I would love to know, but I can't. And it's just taking it one day at a time to kind of see where this world ends up. So wait, are you married? I am married. How long have you been married? We have been married for, we're going on four years. What was your wedding like? Small. I didn't <laughs> learn what you did. It was, uh, we got married in the middle of the woods in uh, People's State Forest. Was oh, I love People's State Forest. That place oh. is magical. I know. The trees are incredible. And we got married in the trees, which was, you know, it was everything I wanted. And then we did a backyard, like, reception. It was 30 people. And it was the greatest day of my entire life. And it was so simple. And it was do-it-yourself. You know, I did my flowers, all the... I probably went a little wild because, it, I mean, this is my job. So, like, I was handwriting the invitations and, like, cool handwriting. And I loved it. You know, and I'm the budgets I work with were much more than what I had. And I see the things that you can do. And I'm like, this is amazing. And, you know, like, we could have done this really cool lighting and, like, all this fun stuff. But I'm like, I wouldn't change it for the world because it was exactly who we are. And that's what I want for my couples, too. Whether you want to spend $100,000 in your wedding, that's awesome. If that's what resonates for you, let's do it. You know what I mean? And for me, what was resonating was like, I don't want to spend a lot of money on my wedding. I want it to be small. And I want to literally do every single piece of it because that is exactly who I am. You <laughs> that's know? you. That is me. Just like for you, right? You're like, in our backyard, we do this every year. This is who we are. You don't want to ever change who you are. You shouldn't have to change who you are. You should be celebrating who you are. Exactly. Oh, that was... Who wrote that down? Did anybody write that down? <laughs> you can have that. <laughs> you can have it for free. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That was Chelsea Suttis. 
She recently wrote a guide for couples who have to reschedule their weddings due to coronavirus, and you can find it at pearlweddingsandevents.com. Up next, we'll hear from an eight-year-old who has ideas about how toilet paper can be rationed out fairly, and you'll find out why over half a million people are howling every night at 8 o'clock, including me, and maybe you. I'm Kyone Wolf. That's next on Us in the Time of Coronavirus. Be right back. This is Us in the Time of Coronavirus from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Kyone Wolf. It's the C segment, which means it's the comfort segment, which you could also call the cathartic segment because I've got something cathartic for you. There's this Facebook group called Go Outside and Howl at 8 p.m. And that was started at the end of March, initially as an outlet to cope with the coronavirus. And it is very popular, over 500,000 members. And Mariah Russell of Denver, Colorado, is one of its moderators. I asked her if she was surprised at how many people were drawn to this group. Completely. So we have people in every state and over 100 countries. I never expected it, and I don't know that any of us expected it to get that big. It was just something fun to do to get that energy out when it started. And now, why do you think that this is really resonating with a lot of people right now? Well, it's really interesting because the mission of the group is literally go outside and howl at eight. And <laughs> nice and direct. There's nothing complicated. Super easy. And everybody's taken their own theme onto it. A lot of people think that it's specifically go outside and howl for frontline workers. But then we have, if you look through the posts, we have howl for my stillborn child. We have howl for my mom that just died of cancer. We have howl for me because I'm going to be moving out and I don't know where I'm going. You know, it's everything. And for me, howling is just so primal. It's this beautiful energy and this collective coming together in this vocalization. And for me, there's a Lakota term um, called uulation. And it's that trill. I can't do it really well, but it's that trill sound that you'll hear in celebration that women will make. And it's a celebration of support. So we have that type of sound in pretty much every culture. And so howling is one of them, but it's just like, that explosion of energy. And then it's really awesome when we can get this happening and have the neighbors call back. I love when my neighbors howl back and we hear on the Facebook group, I howled, thanks for whoever howled back to me. And people love getting that response. And so I think that's the other big thing for it is it's like when we're all inside and doing this social distancing, we're actually having this social closeness by having the neighbors in the neighborhood come together by creating this symphony. Now, for people who may feel a little self-conscious, this is, this is not something that they normally may be drawn to doing, but they're curious, they're howl curious. How would you advise them to shake it off and just go for it? Personally, I like to close my eyes when I first start. And for me, a good howl starts... It's just going inside, taking a big deep breath and connecting with whatever is inside of me. And so sometimes I howl and it's the most ecstatic joy ever. Sometimes I howl and I want to burst into tears. 
And so it's just connecting with whatever visceral feelings are going on and allowing those to come out. And I love to do it really loud. And I find sometimes though, you know, the first couple are quiet and then you get louder. I also remember that it's just letting everything out and letting it go through. And, but for me, it's that breath and that really connecting to my emotions that brings out the best howl. How long do they usually go for? I would say most people, the whole thing, maybe five to 10 minutes, but you know, that's on the long end of things. It's just going out and having a moment or two. Eight o'clock is a great time because it's usually before a lot of people's bedtimes, maybe small children, it's about that bedtime. But the goal is not to disturb anybody. It is really to have that community and that celebration. And so I find it's just a simple couple time howl and then maybe a little chorus and then go back inside. Now, my last name is Wolf. It's not quite eight o'clock here, but I was hoping that if you were in the mood that you would join me in a howl. All right. This sounds good. Should I start? Do you start? Like, how does this, do I start? I think we can, you know, just kind of do it together. Um, Okay. In an imaginary on our heads, like one, two, three, but let's just kind of do it at the same time. Okay. Deep breath. Closing my eyes. Okay. so welcome have a wonderful evening and go outside and howl when it gets to be eight o'clock that's mariah russell master howler look up go outside and howl at 8 p.m on facebook or you know just howl with me tonight at eight o'clock i'll howl back as always we close out the show with a kid Kiva Frankel is eight years old, and I wanted to check in on his social distancing knowledge, so I asked him how far apart he has to stay from people when he goes out. Six feet. You can't do any high fives? Yep. Hmm. Any handshakes? Nope. I guess you're not going to lick anybody's eyeballs anytime soon? Ew! <laughs> how would I do that in the first place? That's a great question. <laughs> Okay, okay. So one of the reasons why I want to talk to younger people is because you see the world sometimes clearer than adults. What do you think adults don't understand that you understand about what's happening right now? That's a big deal. Adults don't really get that. Adults don't know how serious this is. Especially teenagers. Teenagers. If you could travel back in time and give yourself a message, what would that message be? Remember what you have to do. Wash your hands. Be good. 
make sure that you feel what's going on to make sure that you remember this time of seriousness. Well, not that I want to remember it, but still, like, remember what happened. And hopefully, hopefully, your kids don't need to do it. If you could stand in front of the whole world and send them a message, what would that be? Hopefully everybody still is safe and I'll tell the governors to help people in need, to help people who doesn't have toilet paper, which right now is like a ring of gold. You could drive some of yours to their house and then they could like spray it with like super cool Lysol. At least I think it's cool. And then, yeah, I think that's it. Times are really weird right now, and people are stressed out. So, do you know any jokes? Knock, knock. Who's there? Smell mop. Smell mop? Who? You, I don't want to smell your poo. Smell mop poo. Smell mop poo. That was Kiva Frankel from West Hartford. Telling kids what's going on is really important, but so is listening to them. So I really encourage you to listen to the kids in your life. And if you know a child who has a lot to say about what's going on right now, please send them my way. Story ideas are welcome too. You can contact me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Kyone Wolf, And my email is cwolf at ctpublic.org. Us in the Time of Coronavirus was produced by me and Katie Tolarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. The theme music is called This Is the Song by Punch Brothers. You can find more information and subscribe to this podcast at ctpublic.org slash us. Till next time, stay safe, wash your hands, and may tomorrow be a better day. Good luck, please, it's a tough time.